Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining me today on the How to Life podcast. I am Dr. Laura Jagged, the host of this show. And every week I bring you informative and useful information on how to strive, survive, and thrive as an adult. I at least hope to cheer you on and let you know that you are not alone. And that's about to happen on this show right now, which is episode 95. No matter how much you try to prepare for adulthood, there are some things that can really throw you for a loop. One of those things is parenthood. That is hard enough, but a whole new set of challenges that you may be facing now is being a parent to a special needs child. But like anything where you're completely in the dark, there is always a light that'll help you find your way. And it is my hope that this episode will give you some guidance and support if you're facing this challenge or you want to help someone else who is. My guest today is Wayne Pelletier, the creative director of the branding and web design company, Resonant Pixel. Wayne is the father of a child with Milan syndrome, and he talks honestly about the emotions and experiences of having a child with special needs. He also speaks about the community and resources that are available and how to find what you need. And of course, the many blessings that a child, neurotypical or special needs, brings to your life and this world. This is a wonderful interview. Hi, Wayne. Welcome to the How to Life podcast. Thank you very much for being here today. Hello, and thank you for having me. We've got a great topic today. It's a new topic, another new one, another first. It's on how to deal with a special needs child. You have a special needs child, and I really appreciate you coming here and sharing everything that goes with that. Before we begin, will you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you? Sure. Um, my name is Wayne Pelletier. I'm a U.S. Army veteran. I'm also a veteran uh, graphic designer and creative leader in the Atlanta marketing community, having been in a few larger ad agencies in the past, uh, over the past 20 years. And then also I currently own a small creative agency doing branding and web design and things like that. I want to get right in and talking about your child. Will you tell us a little bit about her? Yeah. And, you know, hopefully I can do this subject matter justice. It, everyone's journey is unique. Mine certainly is as well. So, uh, but I'm excited to tell you about it. So Violet, my daughter is 13. She loves music. She loves animals. She does horseback riding. She was diagnosed with Milan syndrome two years ago. So for about a decade, we had almost no idea what was going on. Uh, a few flawed ideas of what was going on. And uh, you know what a diagnosis gets you really is uh, a community, if not even a playbook, right? What was it that led you to even inquire about finding out a diagnosis? What were you noticing? When you have an infant there's a series of you know milestones you're supposed to be hitting within a certain window, walking, talking, eating solid food, totally common. And when you know, when you're in a family and you have a child that starts to miss some of those or maybe is delayed in some of those, uh, you start asking questions like, what's going on? Like, what's wrong with my kid? What's wrong with me? What am I doing? Certainly when it's your first child a whole slew of anxieties, right? Because it's your first go at it and you always constantly are thinking, I might've broke it, right? But, you know, when you start missing things like 
you're not walking at 18 months or 24 months. These things you're like, something's going on. So you start communicating with, you know, the doctors. So she got pretty far into life. Would you say she was mildly delayed? Is that why it took so no, long to I figure out? No, I wouldn't say that. Um, we weren't really talking. We were about three years old. Uh, we were tripping constantly. So there was obviously a field of vision challenge from a depth perception standpoint uh, and a little bit of extropia, which is where one eye or both eyes kind of veer out. So if you're not making one image, it's just way more data than everybody else has to deal with. And um, cortical vision impairment, CVI, is pretty common in the Milan syndrome community. But when you're not dealing with a diagnosis and you're delayed, uh, there are certain things you can weed through pretty quickly, uh, challenges like Downs or autism. There are known things that are tells. And when you're not getting anything specific in that regard, you start going deeper into the medical books and you start going through different doctors and neurologists really trying to find out what the issues are. I will say this, the medical community is dramatically fearful of giving out a wrong diagnosis. There are all kinds of ramifications involved in that from uh, an insurance and the way it's structured in the US uh, standpoint, and also from a liability standpoint. So we were able, I think we were six or seven years old, and we got a mild cerebral palsy diagnosis. That kind of felt okay. But cerebral palsy, often considered a birthing injury, has all kinds of challenges across the map that these kids have. Very few are intellectual. So that was definitely something where we were like, that seems to fit maybe 70% but it's definitely not hitting the nail on the head. So, Did you and your wife feel concerned during this time before you got your definitive diagnosis? Did you feel stressed that you didn't know what it was? Were you concerned about her future in general, her health? Was she going to progress ever? What were your general feelings and emotions? Yeah, there are a lot of feelings and emotions. Uh, and that's probably, if I could go back and tell my younger self, uh, and give myself some advice, I would, that would definitely be the area I would touch on early. There are always some challenges to your vision of the future, right? To your identity. And we wouldn't normally go there, but I'm going there because that's really what it is. When we find out that we are pregnant or adding a member to the family, there are visions we have of going to specific schools or playing certain sports or certain things like that, that we have that are really part of our identity that we just hope to impart wisdom or experience on the child because it's an area where we can contribute. So going back and reconciling that can be pretty hard and emotional. Uh, Helplessness is very common. And it's exacerbated when, in our case, we go years without a diagnosis, because what that doesn't get us is a playbook. There are playbooks for neurotypical kids. These are the milestones for autistic kids, for kids with Downs and and other uh, more common challenges. And that doesn't make it easier or make you feel less helpless. It just maybe makes you a little faster at getting better and more specific resources. And that's ultimately the goal is how fast can I get the exact right resources when you don't have that, yeah, lots of feelings. 
fear, regret, disappointment. We're going to talk about the blessings that she brings to your life. But this is an honest podcast here for anybody who's dealing with this. Those negative emotions are valid. And it's, it doesn't mean that you're a bad parent or you, know, you regret what happened. It's just very honest. There is fear. There's disappointment. There's anger, mm-hmm. resentment. Yeah. You usually start there. It's not exactly like the, what is it? Seven stages of grief. I might have my number wrong, but it's like fear can drive me. So it can be a motivator. So I lean into that one more so than the others. Uh, but if you're prone to leaning into regret and disappointment, uh, the past can be helpful, but it's not going to get us to where we want to go. So I used to be all those things and sad for her. I can still in times of weakness, have uh, sadness for her. But that I've learned is me projecting my identity on her to some degree. Like, this is what I want. I want her to be her best self in her own way. And that is not unique to having a special needs child. Correct. And she doesn't know any different than what she is. And she's happy. She doesn't have feelings of disappointment, does she? You know, it comes up socially, but. I struggle with the idea of saying that it's unique to her. Every kid feels different at some point. Have you been to middle school? So I think what's unique is that we have to have a conversation because what it is and why is known. It's not strictly social. Before you got your playbook, before you got your community, (laughs) how did you guys as a family deal with Violet and with each other? We've been pretty open and honest with this is your challenge. This is what life has handed you. And this is how we're going to deal with it. We haven't done very many behind closed door meetings unless it's about her future or things that may cause some anxiety until we've worked through the dialogue. But for the most part, we've been like, look, this is what you have. And we're going to continue on and we're going to give you everything we can give you. And we're going to love you unconditionally. That's, that's the way that goes. You're good parents. And I was going to ask you, how did your parenting style change? But this is your only child, so you don't know any other way to parent. And by the way, even if you have kids, you're going to be parenting differently for every single one because they bring their own unique personality into the equation and you have to adapt to that. So don't worry. You just get what you get and you do the best you can. How did your relationship with your spouse change or morph as a result of having Violet and the special attention that she needs? This is one we were pretty intentional of, and I think it's actually required. A lot of dramatic changes in our lives can contribute to divorce or separation of any couple. So we kind of made a pact to over-communicate, to have each other's back, to listen and understand and to approach each other with empathy toward whatever emotional state we may be in and to play more of a long game and not be too reactionary. It's not specific to the challenges that our lives have presented. It's any good relationship, but it does become important, you know, when you have a major when you have a death in the family, it can do it when you have serious money problems, it can do it when you've got anything that is going to present an additional amount of effort above and beyond what you had either previously communicated or experienced. It can also bring you closer together. 
It can. Yes. And I, I like to think it's done that, but she's not here at the moment to call me wrong or defend <laughs> it either way. But, uh, and she is a rock and my angel and no, even going to mince words there. Have you had to alter your work or has your wife had to alter working in order to accommodate Violet or have you just all easily transitioned into whatever you needed to do? Um, far less so than some families, but to some degree, yes. You know, there are some transportation issues. We've had to ask for accommodations in schools like additional railings or Parapro to help with, uh, you know, getting to and from playground spaces that are outdoors and things because she requires some supervision when the space is new. Less so now, but when she was in kindergarten for a second grade, it was critical. But from a schedule standpoint, I wouldn't say it's dramatic. We don't require a special van or anything. I want to talk about the reactions of other people, not just other kids, but other adults. It can be heartbreaking seeing somebody not being kind or treating your child differently. Tell us what sort of experiences you've had and how do you deal with that? Yeah, this really splits two ways. There are definitely changes to your peer group. There are definitely people who have prejudice. So they either don't understand or aren't sure they're comfortable having a conversation about it, just based on who they are and where they're from and and what exposure they have or haven't had to people that are different. So I've had, you know, you're going to push my emotional buttons. I knew you were going to do this. So what happens, uh, you know, we're in a yogurt joint, quick story. And, you know, a parent just kind of grabs their kid by the shoulders and moves the kid just a little bit further away. And you see it out of the corner of your eye and your kid may or may not see it. I don't think Violet perceived this at all, but it's a signal. It's a subtle signal that, you know, okay, we're gross. I get it. Okay, fine. Whatever. So I'm not going to emote on anything that subtle or with strangers. That's not my issue. That's their issue. And they're going to have to live with that and navigate that on their own. That's We're not doing this in a fro-yo joint. When it comes to relationships, though, peer groups definitely change. One thing I will say, and this doesn't sound very nice, but it is true, is that there is a small window of time in which a neurotypical kid is going to want to play with my kid. And they're going to age out or want to do other things that are either more physical or intellectually stimulating, and they may not be in the same place. Now, it's not unique to special needs, but it is definitely a bigger issue because of it. Do you feel the need to educate people or you just let them be? Or if they ask questions, do you answer them? How do you handle it? I'm always happy to answer questions if someone's coming from a space of Kind of, they seem open-minded, but you got to be careful. Like sometimes over-the-top sympathy is also exposing some amount of prejudice. I'm not here to get on a soapbox and preach with anybody. Like I said, I can't fix other people. All I can control is myself and and to some degree, my family. So I focus on that and just say, well, this is how we're going to navigate this going forward. And if someone is ever curious, happy to open up our lives and be perfectly honest with them, just as we've been perfectly honest with Violet. You have talked about getting your diagnosis. The best thing that came out of it was the support groups and the community that you now could tap into and lean on. How important has that been for you? 
Yeah, that's critically important. We have to keep digging to get some amount of structure. And what other people bring to the table in that community is resources you've never heard of, opportunities you've never heard of, and emotional and structural support and conversations. You know, when we have a parent happy hour for the Milan Syndrome Parents Group, you know, we talk about school and drop off. And some people, their kids are in kindergarten or first grade. And they're like, I just found out. And I'm like, oh my God, I wish I knew. But also I'm like, here's what we saw. So now we have a community where there are a couple of kids, kids, they're like in their mid-20s. And the oldest people we know with this specific issue and their parents are like, well, this is what we saw in transition to maturity or transitioning from this level of schooling to this or trying to develop certain life skills. So you just don't feel alone. You're not alone. You can get advice from people who have been there before you. You can help out others who are coming in now and learn from each other and support each other. How do you find schooling for your special needs child? Yeah, outside of navigating the medical community, this one's probably the hardest. Um, But we're pretty fortunate in the States. We've got the uh, individual education program, the IEP, which is a federal uh, infrastructure. And there are private schools. Uh, We've done both. So finding schooling early on was pretty easy. You dump a kid off at daycare. They cry, you cry. And then as they get older, you start to realize, well, we're missing all these milestones. You need specific support in a pre-K room for a kid that can't walk or, you know, isn't consistent or trips on things that smashes her face on the ground. So we've got to have different accommodations where yes, that's where the IEP program comes in. You can just be like, this is what we need. And that's going to be different for every school. And I have a wonderful piece of advice on this one. You ready? Don't lawyer up your IEP meeting. There's no good end in sight. Instead, cater it. Okay. So I want to go back a little bit. And IEP, you said was independent education program. Is this part of the public school system? Yeah, it's national. It's national. It's a federal document that we use to manage our meetings with schools, with the teachers and the school district in order to get down in writing any specific accommodations, both uh, environmentally and academically. Will they be in regular classes and then have adjunct classes for special needs or will they be in a separate program? It varies. It depends on the kid. Like, you'd be surprised. A lot of children have IEPs. You have subtle, like, mild dyslexia for a budding football star, right? Like, so the kid can be in um, a traditional classroom, uh, integrated, and still have a couple of pullouts. Maybe reading comprehension is an issue. Maybe math is an issue. Or maybe it's environmental and they just need someone to help them get from point A to point B. So they'll start there. And then you can build your accommodations based on the kids' needs specifically. Whether or not you integrate it into a regular or traditional classroom depends on how much support is needed. If the child requires uh, an assistant teacher or a parapro with them to help them navigate documents all day long, some teachers or schools will find that to be a pretty big distraction to the other students. So you may be in a conversation where there is a recommendation or the school may ask you to have your child in another room that is built specifically for kids that have challenges that require a little more hands-on. 
When you enter public school, do you come in and tell them we need IEP or do they discover it and then tell you? No, no, no. You march in with your IEP on a flagpole and you say, this is the document from which we're going to conduct all of our you know, accommodations. And now you absolutely walk in and you put it on the table and you say, let's get started. How do you get this document? Is this from your medical provider? No, it can involve them, but you can just download it online. Every you- school knows exactly what an IEP is. Every teacher has kids on an IEP, no matter whether it is a, a traditional integrated classroom or a special needs isolated room. So now I want to circle around to what you said in the beginning, where mm-hmm. the advice was don't lawyer up, cater it. What do you mean by that? Bees with honey. Uh, I know families that have been very frustrated with a school district and the school district's interest in supporting an IEP. It's a legally binding document. The school district 100% has to accomplish everything that they commit to accomplishing in that document. Now, you can choose to call them to the carpet and make this a semantic argument about how close they came to achieving their goals. Uh, If you had special accommodations in the room, like an iPad or certain... Uh, angle to the desk or whatever it is, if they haven't purchased these things that are purchasable or built or accommodated in any way, like moving the child to a space in the room where they can see, then you do have grounds for legal action. We've never gone that route. We talked to families when we first started having IEP meetings. We talked to families that were very upset with the school district and were bringing lawyers to the IEP meetings, and they were always upset. And we talked about it and said, "Uh uh-uh, that doesn't seem like happiness to me. What we're going to do is instead, I want a roster of everyone that's going to be in the room. And we're going to show up with like twice as many coffees. And we're going to show up with fruit tray and donuts. And we're going to say, how can we make you successful? One thing to consider is the size of the school district. The larger school districts can be more accommodating with IEP specific challenges because they have the resources they've budgeted for it. A small school district and a large percent of their budget being tied to testing is not going to have a huge budget for special needs kids. And that is something that should be a red flag. This has been so helpful, such a helpful talk. And I really appreciate your honesty and your candor about the topic. And you're very admirable, Wayne, you and your wife and your daughter, What are three or four or five tips that you can offer to anybody who has a special needs or just found out they had a special needs child to get started, feel better about it, and do the best for the child and the whole family? Love unconditionally and come from a place of empathy. I think it's critically important because this is really hard. And the moment emotion takes over, it just makes everything harder than it needed to be. So Celebrate who the kid is and forget what you want them to be. Just lead by example. Tell me about the blessings and joys that Violet brings to your family. What is she like? Oh my gosh, she's so sweet. She is 13. She's five foot 10. She's taller than my wife and I and loves music, loves animals. Animals love her. She can help stables with horses that have been problematic. The horses just love her. They just see her as a calming influence. And it's a very colorful space. Her love of 
princesses, she, like me, geeks out on stuff and goes really deep. So when it was My Little Pony, it was far more My Little Pony than dad could handle. It was princesses. It was far more princesses than I could handle. And I appreciate that about her. It is an opportunity for feedback in a way I didn't see coming that I can use and and leverage to be better at disposal. Before we go, can you please tell us how people can find you? Tell us a little bit about your business also. Yeah, you can definitely find me at resonantpixel.co and find me on Twitter at Wayne Pelletier. Those would be the best places. From the business standpoint, yeah, lots of branding for mid-sized companies, lots of web design and social media graphics. It's hard for a company a lot of times when they're growing really fast, especially if they're not really big and they don't have a dedicated team on staff, connecting all the dots, make sure that they're consistent by having things work strategically across social, email, website, brand, sales. So there's like a unified message. And the polish that that creates for these companies just sets them apart in their space. It's pretty tremendous when you get a call back like six months later, like I had no idea the sort of unexpected growth. When good design is good business, you can't really plan for the outcome in a spreadsheet, but it definitely comes at you. Thank you very much, Wayne. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for sharing this with the audience. This is a lot of fun. I appreciate you. I learned a lot in this interview, and I hope that you found it helpful as well. The hardest part of navigating something new is the first step and knowing where and how to take that step. Reach out to those people, those communities and groups who can show you the way. You are never alone. You can reach out to Wayne Pelletier for guidance on this topic. Or if you are looking for a compassionate and awesome person to help your small business get noticed in this world, this interview is a great demonstration of the face behind the brand. All of his links and contact info can be found in the show notes for this episode, which is howtolife.com slash 095. I have a couple of other podcasts about parenthood. I think you'll enjoy episode 57, How to Be a Great Parent and Keep Your Sanity with homeschool mom of eight, Adrian Brown. Episode 67 talks about parenting from a father's perspective. Gustavo Neto shares how sports can help you develop a positive bond with your child. You can find all the content I've produced, all of it, to make your journey through adulthood a little easier at howtolife.com. I'll even send you some daily love and cheer if you need a hug once in a while. Sign up for some mom motivation. You can find that at howtolife.com slash hugs, H-U-G-S. Make sure to follow me on YouTube at How to Life, Dr. Laura Jaggett, for instruction on some basic life skills. And you can also follow me on the socials, TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. As always, thank you for spending some of your time listening to my show. I really appreciate your support. Your time is valuable, and the fact that you tune in to learn some important life skills and information is greatly appreciated. I have another awesome show planned for you next week. See you then. Goodbye for now. Take care, everyone. Hit that five-star rating button before you go and enjoy the rest of your week. Be loving, be patient, be kind to yourself, and you'll find it'll be so much easier to do the same with others. You got this.